Ephesians 1 verse 3, it's the scripture we were, Gabe was in last week, and uh, it's an amazing thing, that verse 3 to verse 14 in the original text is one sentence. Michael Eaton calls it a burst of praise at the glory of what salvation has done, a burst of praise. Another commentator spoke about it as the melody that holds this whole symphony together. This whole book of Ephesians is a symphony that comes together on this one line, this one sentence, and it's a long one. And it's all these bursts of the glory of God and what He's done. And when the believer catches it, it changes everything. So we're just going to read verse 4 to 10 together this morning. And then I'm going to ask a family to come up and share some of their story. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And I know Gabe spoke about this. The cool thing about being blessed in the spiritual realm, it can't be taken away here. It's untouchable. What God has done in the spiritual realm, what He has established, no one can touch. No man, nothing. For He chose us in Him, and this is where we are today, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless, in love, He predestined us for the adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and His will to the praise of His glorious grace which He has freely given us in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect with the times, when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth and under Christ. And we see this incredible, incredible picture. We spoke about how at the start, he's called us to be holy and blameless. He calls us saints. Another way of calling us holy, what is established, and it's, what's, it's the fact that it's only what he has done. It's only what he could have done. Salvation is only what Jesus has done. This has got nothing to do with what we can do. And he then speaks about being predestined for us to be adoption of son. When Michael Eaton gets up and says, well, actually, predestination is a mystery, I'm telling you, I'm not going to try to unpack predestination at any formal way at this time. We're going to come back to it later once we've looked at the bigger concepts because it has huge implications when we take hard and fast lines. But when a man who's preached the gospel for 40 years says, well, it's still a mystery, this one thing I know, when Christ... When Christ reveals salvation in our life, it was predestined because it had nothing to do with us. He did it. In His love, He poured it out. That's what I know. But this thing we look at today is the mystery of adoption. And before this story is told, I want to ask you three questions. You don't need to answer them, but these are three big questions. Is God full of affection for you today? Full of affection. Is God desiring to be close with you? Or is He just trying to get you to do the right things? There was a statement there, well, it's good for kids to be in families to learn the morals and stuff. Is God just brought you into His family so you learn His morals? And, and the start of living a moralistic life. And the last one, is the Father full of generosity towards you? Full. Can I ask Dinah and Ben to come up? And they're going to tell something of their story this morning. This is an amazing family. You've seen this young man worship, and maybe you don't know his story. And this is an incredible, incredible warrior lady in our midst. So go for it. Um, 
Ben is my adopted baby. And um, his story begins in 1996, when P and I lost our only daughter. And um, at the time of, Etienne was my baby baby. Weirdly, that's, he's the biggest one, but he was my really baby baby. And um, at the time that Etienne was born, um, we had three children. We decided no more, shut up shop. And um, then we lost Nina, and there was this burning desire inside of us to actually have a third child in our home. And um, from a physical perspective, that was not possible anymore. And um, so I just, made, P and I both, we made peace with the fact that we had two amazing boys, and um, we were going to just live out our lives raising them um, as men of God. And um, we went to America. I started a Christian school in Vintuk, and we went to America to friends of ours to go and investigate how they had started um, a Christian school. We went to Los Angeles in California. And the pastor of the church where we were, which had started the school, he and his wife had two adopted daughters. And in their bedrooms, which we were staying in there, like my family, the kids get kicked out so that the guests have space. Um, they, we were staying in their bedrooms, and each of them had a plaque in their bedroom which their mom had cross-stitched for them, which said, Not flesh of my flesh, nor bone of my bone, nevertheless you are my own. Never forget for a single minute that you were not born under my heart, you were born in it. And it was so profound for me, and I was like, wow. And these two girls, really, they were such well-adjusted, happy young ladies, they knew their biological beginnings. They knew who they were. Where they knew about their biological parents. They'd both met their biological mothers, and they were such whole and rounded people. And it was so beautiful to watch this family function. And P and I, we were very busy. We didn't talk about it at all. And when we were on the airplane coming back, you've got lots of time, see, because you're sitting waiting for the time to go by so you can land in Vintuk again. And Pierre actually raised the subject, and he said to me. You know, Diana, if we ever adopt a child, I want it to be like that. Like that plaque in Amanda's room. I want it to be like that. And I was like, my gosh, I thought that thing too, but I didn't feel comfortable saying it, and yet Pierre actually had the guts to come out and say it to me. So we had that in our hearts and in our minds, and that was it. Um, that was in the October in the March, a young couple, unmarried, teenagers, in our church, um, both worship in worship. She sang. He actually led worship. Um, they got into trouble, and this was their trouble. And um, they, they by, by, by nature of their circumstances, their parents agreed that the baby had to be given up for adoption was not necessarily what they wanted, but it was a decision that was made by the adults, and um, it was very hard for all of them. Um, about, and we were, very, we were very, very close to both families, Pierre and I and our boys, and um, it was hard for us to watch these families going through so much pain. And then one Sunday morning, I'm going to use their names, 
um, simply because they don't live in South Africa. The chances of you bumping into them is minimal. There are certain people in this congregation that do know them. Um, Ben's biological dad's name is Jesse, and his biological mom's name is Simone. And one Sunday morning after church, Simone actually called Pia and I aside and said she really would like to speak to us. And uh, she called us into a, a little prayer room, and she said, I want to ask you something, but it's really huge. So we're like, okay. Couldn't figure what it was, and she said, I want to ask you to adopt my baby. Well, you could have dumped a bucket of ice over me. It was such a, such a shock and a surprise. And I, my immediate response was, Simone, we have two beautiful boys. There are families out there that have no children. Why would you choose us? Why do you want us to adopt your baby? And she said to me, Diana, you've lost a child. Maybe you have some idea of how it feels for me to give one away. So we, we said to her, we we would need to talk to the boys. We had to ask JP and Etienne's permission, basically, to add one to our family. And we went home and we chatted with them. And they very sweetly, JP particularly, he was the big brother, see? He's like, okay, we'll talk about it and let you know. (laughs) And three days later, he said, okay, we have reached a decision. You may adopt a baby as long as it's a sister. So we had to explain that these things don't get ordered. (laughs) They just happen. And um, so it was like, "Mm, okay, all right. But, you know, we'd really like a sister again. So it was like, well, we'll see what happens. Simone, from her side, spoke about this baby right the way through her pregnancy as she. Because she, in her young heart, wanted to replace our daughter for us. That was her heart. And... So the baby was called she all along. It was the, he, he was never identified as a he because they didn't do so nice because they tried to protect her from too much emotional attachment. And I've said from the beginning, Ben's life is absolutely sticky with God's fingerprints because God has protected him through so many things. Um, nobody knew about his heart defect when he was, before he was born. If they'd done several sonars, they would have picked it up, but it wasn't picked up. And given the heart defect that he does have, if he had been born by natural birth, he would have died in the birth process. He was an, eventually became an emergency cesarean, and that saved his life. And we were there, P and I, we were in the hospital, we were a part of the whole thing, and it was an amazing experience. And um, after he'd been born, he was taken away from her. She was asleep. And I believe that was grace. I believe that that emergency cesarean was grace for her, as well as life-saving for Ben. And she was asleep, and we saw this amazingly beautiful baby. And um, they took him off to the neonatal ICU because that was procedure for uh, adoptions in the hospital. And that was when they picked up that there was something very wrong with this baby's heart. And later, we didn't know that until the following day, but later on, we went to see Simone when she was awake and she was okay. And I went to her, and as I put my arms around her, she started to sob. And all the way through the whole process of, we walked the pregnancy with her, and through the whole thing, I'd, P and I said to her, 
You keep your baby if you want to keep your baby. You have that option up until the very last minute. You have that option. We never withheld that from her. And I realized that, and I said to her, Simone, are you sobbing because you want to keep your baby? And she said, no, I'm sobbing because I wanted to give you a girl. And that broke my heart because there's this young girl, 15 years old, and she's concerned for my heart. So that's the essence of where Ben comes from, that love, that incredible maturity. And um, I said to her in that moment, I didn't realize what I was saying. I believe it was God speaking through me. And I believe that what I've lived out since then has been, I almost spoke it, God spoke it at that moment. I said to her, Simone, you know what? God has raised me to be a mother of warriors for Jesus. And, and I, just, I just really mean, feel that in my life. I feel that in my boys. I'm, I'm doing what I can to teach them how Jesus wants them to live. And um, so, yeah, that's Ben's adoption story. Ben's story goes on and on and on. Um, he has an amazing uh, relationship with both his biological mother and his biological father, Last year in August, his biological father actually flew out from America to come here to see him because he and his wife are expecting their first baby and they knew that it would be quite a while before they could travel again. So when they were still able to travel, they actually came all this way to see this young man. And um, the other day, um, Estelle Matthews was at our house and she said something that she heard Arthur Burke saying, something that um, when you are adopted... There is a line of blessing coming from two families into your life. And I really see that in Ben, this double portion, because his biological grandparents on his dad's side are missionaries working for the kingdom. Um, his biological dad was a worship leader. His mom sang in the worship team. His biological granny on his mom's side is an amazing lady of, 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 of the Lord. She, she loves Jesus with everything inside her. And it's just so amazing to me to see this young man growing up loving Jesus so much. And I can see that double portion of blessing in his life. Um, I don't know what I should say because mom kind of said everything. Um, but um, with, with, the, uh, with the adoption and stuff, um, also so thankful for for my mom, my dad and my brothers and their little whatever they had going on making decisions and stuff and it's so it's so amazing because even from a young age um, my mom made her like priority well, made her like priority to like kind of explain everything to me um, even from like a very young age and and allow me to, but in, in ways that I understand. And I think if it wasn't for that as well, um, I would think a lot differently to what I do think now in terms of what has happened. And, um, um, yeah, very grateful for that. And now, um, and, yeah, I think that's really cool as well. <laughs> Thank <laughs>
It's, um, you want to know why we worship in church? Um, you know why you can't do Christianity on your own sitting in a glass box? Why you can't just read the Bible all day, 23 hours a day, sleep for an hour, and somehow find Jesus? It's because you'll never know Ben. You'll never see him worshiping in the front of the church every Sunday. You'll never know this lady just keeps on adopting. Not adoption processes. Because of Ben's health issues, he had to be homeschooled. That happened in January this year. We're now in April, and now there are seven or eight kids being homeschooled at their house by Diana. Because when this truth, when this doctrine that we put a big name to called a dogma, when this truth gets deep down inside of us, everything changes. When we understand the transaction that took place, everything changes. And the story goes something like this, that while we were slaves to sin, we were slaves. Ben was a slave to his situation. And outside of the intervention of God, he was a slave to that circumstance. His future, his reality now would have looked very different. You know the stories. We were enslaved by that, and while we were in our condition, and it was humanly impossible for a newborn to fight his way into freedom. That's who we were before we encountered this grace. So what did God do? See, he should have been offended by our sin and our stains. I'm just, I'm going to the end of the story because it's the only thing that matters. He should have been so offended, but the offended God chose to break the silence. He breaks into this world. He breaks into the situation. He comes. And even though we were slaves, we were enslaved by the sin. We were enslaved. We were condemned by the law and the thing that we were born into that Galatians will read the scripture now. And there was this just penalty that we deserved. Travis gets up and speaks about sins. He's a young man. This just penalty that we deserved of breaking the law, the curse of the law, the wrath of God should have been all, all of this. But Galatians tells us when the fullness of time had come, God graciously intervenes to address this condition. He sends us a savior. And he redeems us from slavery to sin. He redeems us from the penalty that we should have deserved. And you know what? That's astounding. It's absolutely astounding. And so Easter becomes this moment where we just gather and it's just absolutely amazingly astounding. And if that's where the story ended, it would be an amazing story. My debt has paid. My debt deficit has been taken away. But we're still at ground base. We're still at point zero. We still don't know how to move forward. All that we know is we're free. What do we do with it? And he says, more than that, more than just pay your sin, more than just get you into heaven, I'm going to adopt you. I'm going to take you into a family. I'm going to call you, and there are rooms in my house and rooms in my heart, and because of love, love that existed before the situation, love wasn't the response to a bad situation. God is love. And before there was anything, there was love because there was God. And we get moved by this situation because it's tangible and it's real. And people walk into church and we forget to remember. We forget to remember that our status has changed. That on his birth certificate should be another surname with another story. I know his biological father. I didn't know at the time when we were friends in Durban. 
and I look at the hand of grace that's painted a picture that no man could have touched. And I see Jesus. And he doesn't just deal with my debt deficit. He lifts me up and says, you are a son. You are adopted into a household. And in adoption, he takes us into family and fellowship. He establishes us as children and heirs. And closeness and affection and generosity are at the heart of this relationship. So I ask you three questions. Do you perceive God as full affection for you? Full of affection for you. Does God desire to be close to you? Is he full of generosity? Because if not, I'm telling you, sin is still too big in the picture. And we're going to keep speaking about grace and the lavishness of grace because we have to, because it doesn't make sense to the human understanding. And this whole book is about the lavishness of grace. It just doesn't make sense. Why would a lady who's in her comfort zone now take another infant? And I marvel at the processes of God. I know people, young couples, who do not want to have children because their lifestyle will be inconvenienced and their selfishness will be inconvenienced. I'm telling you, you need a revelation of the love of God. So you've got your two established kids and it's all good and, 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 and they look as good as this man over here. And God says, I'm going to add a crying, squealing baby who's going to need nappies. My wife went out last night. I fed three kids. I had to bath three kids. I had to change two very pooey nappies that my brother-in-law turned his nose up at. It's hard work. And God says, I will put my hands up for those stinky, smelly kids. The closest story to my heart is a man named Elliot who I was on eldership with. He's a Zulu man. An incredible man. And we had a home called the Tembeletu at Glenridge for AIDS orphans. Children with HIV, most of them. And some whose parents um, come from HIV situations. And, and, And by the grace of God, some of those babies weren't HIV. But we've seen over 20 HIV positive babies adopted into families all over the world. And there was this one little kid who arrived. He had been put in a dustbin. Frank knows this man in the story. He'd been put in a dustbin. And when they found him at the bottom of that dustbin, possibly days, he was covered in his own mess. He was covered in other people's mess in the rubbish. He was in a small, dark space. And they found him and they brought him to this home. And for the first six months of this young boy's life, he had no emotions. We would watch him. He didn't smile. He didn't cry. He had no emotions. Nothing. Then he began to respond and he was just loved. He'd taken into his family. We didn't know how old he was. To get papers and certificates was difficult. His name is Elijah Sonjika now. And at the age of four or five, I would watch him in prayer meetings at church as he'd have his Bible open. He couldn't read. And he would walk around the prayer meeting slamming his Bible just praying because he watched his father do it. Because, and and it's, it's unbelievable how like his father is now. He, he's 11. He leads a youth group that only starts at 13. He preaches. He's the primary preacher. He's 11 years old. 
And he had to get pulled out of that mess and that rubbish and his own mess. God did the same thing for you and me. So Paul writes in Ephesians, remember, remember, remember you were exiled. Remember you were outside of the promise. Remember you were hopeless. Not to keep us in that place, but to remind us of the glory of God. And there are too many Christians who are not certain of God's love for them. And they're almost suspicious of God. So we live with this thing. God's just waiting to hit us. He says, he's waiting for us to mess up. We're a bit like Oliver Twist. Can we have more in the orphanage? Can I tell you the picture of prior to being adopted by Jesus? It's too good a picture to think of an orphanage. Where we have home and security and lights. It's almost too good of a picture. The real picture is in a dustbin, in our own mess, wasting away until we die. That's the picture. And God reaches into that mess and says, how can you still be suspicious of me? How can you still not trust the vastness of my love that I reached in? It causes us to wonder whether God really loves us when we are suspicious of them because we're so aware of our sin. And now I'm not preaching a gospel where sin is powerless. Sin is incredibly powerful. But God is so much more powerful. It is not a power contest. It is not a power battle. Jesus reigns. He is seated on His throne. And if you have called on His name and received the love and grace from that name, you're in His family. Black, white, young, old, adopted, born into a family, it doesn't matter. It's incredibly, incredibly powerful. And we get the scripture in Galatians, and it's in, it opens up adoption. Galatians 4, verse 4. And for the purpose of time, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak about some of that next week. I just want to tell you a couple of things. Because I think, you know, you can never, you'll never stop being God's child. Never. Boy, Ben can fill our pool with a million stones and he's trying hard. He'll still be a fun person. Nothing changes. And it's this incredible thing. Actually, let's read that scripture in Galatians 4. Is this all right? You got a few more minutes? And we'll continue this next, the week after next. But when the, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. Everything changes. Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of sonship, spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. It's an incredible thing you are adopted out of, slavery, but you are adopted out of by a price that has been paid. And it says this amazing throwaway line, born of a woman. It's just like, yeah, we know that, Mary, we know that whole story. No, Jesus, born of a woman. It doesn't say born into a family. Jesus, your savior, was adopted by Joseph. He would have walked the streets and the kids would have shouted him, there goes that bastard boy who's been adopted by Joseph. His parents weren't married. In that day, at that time, it was an absolute scandal. 
He knows what it is to walk an orphan. He knows what it is to fear. He knows what it is to walk with all these realities on this life. But he, but he chose to set us free from that. He says, born under a law. Born under law. Law you will never satisfy. You just need to spend an hour watching the Oscar Pistorius trial to know the law will keep coming at angles. Was it tampering this way, Mr. Pistorius? Was it tampering? Is tampering the word? And they spend an hour and a half looking at tampering of whether a fan was moved. Sorry, that's the only part I've watched. <laughs> but they spend an hour and a half and Gerinel gets on Oscar, Mr. Pistorius. And he talks about, was the fan there? Was it plugged in here? And he shows a picture of multiple. The law has a million angles and you can never satisfy the law. And that's what you were born under. You were born under a parent. You will never satisfy and you're waiting to mess up. And Jesus says, you are no longer that child. No longer. And Paul writes to the Ephesian people who are doing well. He says, I need to remind you are no longer. These Galatians lived under legalism in a massive way. And Paul is writing into this context to set them free from the lies. We said this series is about the lies that we've believed. So we've been adopted out of smallness. The smallness of that dustbin that Elijah lived in. We can stay in that place. And I believe Christians get saved and they jump back into the smallness like the, the Israelites wanted to go back into Egypt. We jump back into smallness and we cover ourselves with the mess because we don't trust in the hand that has redeemed us. So how were we adopted? Jesus paid the price and he puts the spirit of sonship into us. It settles us. You know why we can endure hardship? Because of that price that is paid and that spirit inside us. I said a man yesterday, he's fighting some battles and he said to me, if that battle never gets settled, I know Jesus loves me and his intimacy will be enough for me. That is the statement of a son. And it settles us and it secures us. And we stop acting like orphans. You see, the problem is when we think we're children, but we, we understand and our deep down belief, like deep inside, Travis, is that we're still an orphan. We keep acting like an orphan. And the church keeps acting like orphans. So relationships keep falling apart because orphans are gangsters. They get into gangs, they form gangs, and, and they fight for themselves. And then into what context where we get saved and we get placed and we get given sonship into an inheritance. A big challenge for me in my walk as a natural son was the day my parents lost everything. And the things I'd banked on an inheritance were gone. And it changed, changed everything. But the day we get given Jesus, the day Jesus reveals his love to us, everything changes. And we get given an inheritance. You are an heir. You know that? Maybe you'll get nothing coming down the line. I don't think there's anything coming my Every now and again, I slip a prayer. Hey, God, maybe there's an auntie somewhere. <laughs> but, but I don't have to wonder about that. And I don't have to pray for that. And I don't have to keep calling out for that to God. It is settled. It's done. It's an inheritance that cannot be taken away because it's in Jesus. And I am in Jesus. And I'm adopted into Jesus and into a family. And we are established. Why do we do church? Because we're in Jesus and he loves his bride. Why do we fight through relational difficulty? Because we're in Jesus and we're not orphans. And we don't lash out like orphans lash out. 
Why are we generous people? Because we're not orphans. Because the heart of generosity is in place into us by the Spirit of God. And we are generous because He is generous. We are generous because tomorrow my Father will provide. And we see the orphans on the streets and someone gives them something. And they get and they run off. This picture is not the picture of a father walking into an orphanage and choosing one kid. I love that picture because there's choice. And the statement, powerful statement of an, of a, of a, an orphan is, is, well, my parents chose me. I think it's beautiful. But the picture's more than that. It's the picture of the father walking onto the streets of our city and he sees the dirtiest little street kids who possibly smoking glue. And they smelly and they don't know how to look after them because no one's ever shown them love. And they don't know what they were, so they're just surviving. The father walks into that group of sweet kids. I don't know why I can't speak today. <laughs> but he walks into that group of street kids who the world scorns and have thrown aside as oh, just a plague of Africa. The father walks in that group, not some clean, nice orphanage where there are a couple of meals a day. He walks onto the streets. He walks into the street kids of our city and he says, I want them. I want you. And he knows there's a price to pay. And that price has been paid on the cross 2,000 years ago. And he says, I want you in your smelliness. I want you in your dirt. I want you in everything. And I'm going to give you everything. Why? It's called love. And we're going to carry on. But, but I've got to ask you, do you believe the Father is generous towards you? Because if you don't, you're going to live like an orphan, whether you're going to heaven or not. You'll go to heaven. You'll spend eternity with Jesus, but you'll arrive there an orphan. Do you feel like the Father is waiting to smack you? Like He's just waiting there. Because if you do, You'll go to heaven, but you'll live like an orphan. And every time people come close, you give and then you pull back. You, you can't be generous with anyone. Because what about tomorrow? So we've got to hoard. These are just what being an orphan looks like. You'll go to heaven, but you will arrive there an orphan. And I think God wants His church to walk as sons. Because he sends sons and daughters out to this world full of the spirit of sonship because of what he does, because of what he's done, because of who he is. And he places people in families to outwork that thing. You would have never got to know Ben's story if it wasn't for this church at this time. And maybe next year it's another church in another city. Blessing. Amazing. But today, give yourself to God's family. You know what it deals with? It deals with pray for every other church. It deals with get off your zones because you've got nothing to defend because he's on the throne. And I know we've gone a little longer today. I'd love to pray for you if that's all right. Is that okay? The power of testimony. I just want to honor another lady, Amy. Amy looks after her. She helps us with our kids during the week. It's really wonderful to have you with us today. It's a blessing. blessing to have people 
Love your children. Can I pray? Just, I pray, ask, open your spirit now. It's not enough just to go to heaven. That's the lie. Honestly, that's the biggest lie in the church today. He wants you to walk like a son with your shoulders back and your head up high and you're not worried about tomorrow because tomorrow's in my father's hands. Honestly. And nothing is impossible for God. Nothing. Can I pray with you, Father? This morning, in part, feels disjointed, but I don't know what you did through those stories of interviews at Bayside or the false story, Lord. That you could orchestrate a situation like that. But when I look at adoption, God, and the beauty of it, I know adoption is not plan B, God. In your heart and in your hands, it's plan A. And you did it for me. And you took us out of our brokenness. You took us out and you placed your spirit inside of us. And I say thank you today, God. And we remember, as we took communion early, we remember and we keep remembering that great love. And we keep singing the songs, how he loves us. If grace was an ocean, we're all sinking, God. Let that be our story, God. Let it make sense to us, I pray. And even in the season, God, of Easter and family and moments, I pray for moments in your presence, God. And I thank you that the intimacy and the love that you give us is more than enough. And that satisfies us, God. I pray let us be a people who are satisfied by your love. Satisfied by your grace. Just satisfied, God. By who you are, Jesus. And that we would respond to the world around us like sons and daughters of the living God. And where there are often ways in us because they're in all of us, God. I pray, Spirit of God, would you deal, would you shape, would you form, would you free, would you deliver, whatever you have to do, would you do it so that we could walk as sons and daughters of the living God. Amen. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. We really do love you. I know I keep saying that because it's true. And uh, we have starting point. If you're a visitor or you, today's your first day, come and join us for some lunch um, and some snacks happening now. We're going to kick off in 15 minutes at 11. But bless you. And can I ask, allow the Spirit of God to speak. Look at the way you respond to situations. Say, Father, is that, is that son or an orphan speaking? Because we all have son and we all have orphan in all of us. Amazing.